lots of friends here. This is amazing. I love it. I love getting surprised by people I've known for, gosh, a decade, and they walk in, and what a joy it is. We start this new year together. Uh, we know that we've got people in this room, but Bel Air is so much bigger than those that are just in this room. We've got other services throughout the day, and I think today, perhaps, we've got more people joining online. Uh, we don't know what to do with the rain in California, but in case you don't know, we've got uh, our morning services streamed online, and uh, if you ever miss a Sunday, you can always go to our website. Go on iTunes. You can download our, our messages and just keep up with what God is doing, at least within uh, what we do here on Sundays. But what a joy it is. We're starting a new series uh, in this month of January. And if you haven't been with us, we are unpacking in very practical ways what it means for us to live out our mission as a church. We're talking as a church about us being a people, not just a staff or a group of people, but all of us following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. But what does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? What does that look like tangibly in practice? How do we move that from just being a nice slogan on the walls or on our website or on the bottom of emails, but how do we truly live that out? And so in this month of January, we're taking a look at some of the teachings of Jesus, the most famous parables of Jesus. And each week I've introduced to you uh, three questions that I'd like for you even today to be reminded of that can help you while I'm teaching, even our time together, not wait for me to give you the answer, but really in prayer to go to God in this moment and ask God these three questions. We're going to put it up on the screen. The first is this, that while we're together, God, God, I mean, the fact that you can even go to the King of Kings and pray this prayer, confident that He will answer, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Don't wait for me at the end of the sermon to say, here's what I want you to learn. Go to God right now in this moment and say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? But beyond that, God, who do you want me to be in light of this? My character, the things on the inside, what, what do you want to transform in me? Long before I do anything different, but how, how do you want to change me from the inside out? And then finally, God, what do you want me to do? in response to this. It's so easy to just come in, come out, have the teaching go in one ear and out the other and leave unchanged in terms of how we live and how we love. And so what a great opportunity for us to come to God right now in this moment and pray these prayers, these questions to God that He would lead us, that He would guide us. And as we go through this parable today, I'm setting up this parable to say that this is in some ways a tough parable. You know, we've talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the, the two sons and, you know, the parable of the, the two different houses built on two different foundations. But we get to this parable. In a moment, I'll have you go there to Matthew 22. And I would categorize this as one of those parables, one of the teachings of Jesus, which, frankly, if you listen to Jesus long enough, you're going to get to one of these moments where at first glance, at first listen, at first blush, it's a little embarrassing when you don't know what he's saying, it's a little embarrassing when you hear what Jesus says. And often, we like to skip over these stories. We like to skip over these teachings. When we get to passages, we have no idea what that means. We like to conveniently go to one that we do know and say, oh, this one, I like this one. This one makes me feel better. But if we're truly going to follow Jesus, we've got to listen to all that he says. At the same time, Scripture says about itself that all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful for teaching. All of it, God wants us to submit our lives to. So we can't just pick and choose what we like and don't like. And actually, if we allow God to lead us, if we begin to understand what Jesus is really saying, as we go under the surface, I absolutely believe that this, perhaps at first glance, 
embarrassing passage turns to one of deep encouragement. And if you allow God to lead us, and even as I allow God to speak what He wants to through me in this moment, that this passage might be the passage that changes everything in your life. This might be the passage that you share with a family member, a friend, a coworker, that at first glance you might look at this and say, I would never share that with somebody. But after you understand what Jesus is really saying, it opens up some amazing, glorious, and beautiful realities. So let's go straight there, Matthew 22. If you have a, a Bible that you brought, we're going to go to Matthew 22. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, it's that red book. We have the New Revised Standard Version. We're going to page 803 in the Pew Bible, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. This is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. This is the first one in terms of the order in which we have them in Scripture. So Matthew 22, and let me just read this, and I'll let you judge for yourself if you could put this under the embarrassing category. Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it. And went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all who they had found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. Okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Because in this parable, in this story, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. We did a series last year talking about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is experienced wherever God as king, wherever his reign, wherever his rule, wherever his kingship and lordship and authority are experienced. And so Jesus is telling the story, and the king in this story is God. And the son in this story is Jesus. And at first blush, at first glance, you see this king who on one hand is so upset that people don't come, that he sends out more servants to get them to come, and some of those people who've been invited actually kill some of the servants, that he's so enraged that he actually kills them, he burns their cities. We don't like to paint God in this light. Often we get embarrassed by these passages. But then it goes on, and you see this moment in the story where the good and the bad, they come in, but then one person seems to be just, what? That's it? He's wearing the wrong clothes? And the king, God, in this story, 
casts him out. And at the very end of all of this, it seems as if God is contradictory. It seems like his qualities, his characteristics are, are diametrically opposed in this story. And at the very end of it, it ends with this phrase, many are called and few are chosen. Leaving perhaps some of us kind of insecure and paralyzed of, oh no, what do we do with this? What do you mean few are chosen? Chosen. I, I thought that this is a place where we're going to hear that, that God loves us and wants us to come as we are, but few were chosen? Did I get in? Did I not get in? And at first glance, we look at this and we say, Drew, can we go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan? I like that story. Can we go back there? Can we go back there? But no, I absolutely believe that it's not God's character that is embarrassing, but it's our ignorance of the setting and the story in which Jesus tells the story that actually that's the cause for the embarrassment. That it actually requires for us to begin to say, okay, God, what are you saying here? What's going on? What's happening in the first century? And if we allow ourselves to actually get into the story here, we're actually going to find some amazing, amazing things that give us hope, give us encouragement, that the last thing this is is embarrassing. It's actually absolutely uplifting. But before we get to that, let me tell you, there's a, there's a film that came out, actually multiple films. It was a trilogy, in fact, that just shaped my view of the world, shaped my childhood. It was the, the story of Indiana Jones. Show of hands. Any of you see those movies? Okay. So, no spoilers. We've all seen it, right? So, at the end of that third film, the original trilogy, if you remember, in the Last Crusade, right? Remember Sean Connery, Harrison Ford's father in the film? has been injured. He's dying. And the only way to save this father's life is if he gets to the Holy Grail, which in the story was the cup that they believed to be the cup that Jesus drank at the Last Supper. But if you drink water from this cup, you're going to have eternal life, that people will be able to be healed. And so, in order to get to that ultimate goal, in order to experience that eternal life, in order to get there, Indy had to go through three tests. Remember this? And each of these tests was very difficult. It was very tough. And he had clues that his father left him. But he soon realized that as he went through each of these tests, that he saw that many other people had come before him. But many others had died. Many others had not made it. Many others had not gotten to the Holy Grail. And as he goes through each of these steps, he has to basically, he has to prove his worth. He has to prove that he's courageous, that he's pure of heart, and all these things. At the very end, he finally gets the Holy Grail, and he saves his dad's life. And the moral of the story was Indy had what it took. He was worthy. He had enough merit. So therefore, he was called to take a sip from that cup. And in my childhood, as I began seeing that story, I began to superimpose that story onto many things, including what I read in Scripture. And it's very easy for us to read into this story and say, okay, it seems like there's like these, these tests, or even to look at all of Scripture and say, is this just a bunch of tests that we have to somehow get through, like Indiana Jones, so that one day at the end of our life, God will look at us and say, well done. Come in, experience all of eternal life. In fact, I've heard from some of you who will say to me, Drew, this whole thing of following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone it's impossible. That's difficult. It was hard enough as it is to show up on Sundays, but you're telling me this is an everyday sort of thing and everywhere. I mean, what? You see, if we view the world and if we view Scripture through an Indiana Jones kind of view of life, 
you're basically viewing all of this as religion. What do I have to do to be accepted? What do I have to do to be enough? And don't hear me say that the answer to that is that you got to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone because the reality is you can't do that and I can't do that. And we will see as we get towards the end of this teaching today that rather than view for many are called but few are chosen as a merit-based approach to what God wants for us, we're going to see a complete opposite perspective that the gospel, which isn't religion, it's a relationship with God, communicates to us. So let's go back, open those Bibles as you take a look at Matthew 22. Let's get in this passage. There's a lot of different characters in this story. I want to identify three different groups, as it were. And I think that these groups represent all of us that are here listening online as we get into this. So, of course, you've got the first group. This is the group of people who have already been invited to a wedding banquet. Now, this is a king of the land in Jesus' story. Now, weddings are a big deal today, but they were even a bigger deal in the first century. They didn't just last a lot of hours. They lasted a lot of days. Sometimes the wedding party stretched for an entire week. And so what would happen, what was very customary, is that there would be invitations that would be sent. Messengers would send out these invitations to people. And they would respond like we do today. Different forms of RSVP, but they would respond because the host, the king, had to know how many people to prepare for this feast. And in the first century, it was very different. They didn't set a date like we do today. It wasn't a save the date. Actually, they didn't know exactly when the wedding was going to be. And so now this is a second round of messengers going out to those that have already said yes, to the group that's already said, oh yeah, I'll be there. And now that they finally get the opportunity to truly arrive, in the Greek language, which is the original translation of the New Testament, it literally says that they didn't care. They were too busy. They didn't think it was worth it. They were caught up in their own things, their own affairs, their own way of life. They didn't think that the invitation, really, and the experience that was going to be had at that banquet was going to be enough. And we do this all the time, don't we? You know, we say yes to something, but then something better comes up and we don't show up. You know, I actually experienced this this past week in, in, in a pretty profound way. I love when I try to look at life through the lens of Scripture. I never would have noticed this had I not been studying this passage. But this week, I actually, I, I went on vacation for the first time I'd ever done this with a group of friends. And this is actually my small group here that's part of this church. It was four couples. All of our parents had the kids. How awesome is this? We went away on vacation. This is great. And what was even cooler about this is that one of the gentlemen, his dad, his parents, actually, they own this amazing home that we flew to and we stayed at. And I remember showing up this past week at this home. And I walked in, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, I have never been into a home like this. This is phenomenal. This is amazing. I mean, I... I would never even be able to pay for a vacation. This is just what? I mean, I'm just looking around. This is, wow, this is phenomenal. I'm, I'm literally one of those people taking photos everywhere. I just cannot believe this. I'm texting my parents. I'm like, look, look at this place. This is phenomenal. And so in the midst of this time, we were there for four days. My friend, who was the host in a sense of this whole experience, sent out an email ahead of time. And he said, you know, on Friday morning, we're going to go tour the property. And I'm like, what's, what's that all about? And apparently his parents want to sell this place and they want to build in this other area. And so I'm thinking in my mind, tour the property. 
Once I get there and I'm looking at their place that they have, and I, and I know on Friday morning we've got to go tour the property, so we've got to leave this place that is better than I've ever been. This is what? This is phenomenal to go tour some property? And actually a group of us were like talking to one another saying like, what? Why would we do that? We've got, there's, there's a refrigerator here. There's a pool here. And there's like, there's, this is, why would we leave here to go tour a property? And so I asked my friend, I said, okay, so what, what, what's this whole thing? He says, no, just trust me. So my parents are looking at this one area they want to build here and I, I just want to show you the place. Just trust me, it's going to be awesome. Frankly, I didn't want to go. Internally, I was like, oh, I want my book and I want to sit here. I don't want to have to do these. I'm on vacation, okay? So we all hop into the suburban. We drive to this spot. And all of a sudden, we're winding around and we get to this guard gate. Now, the guard gate, I'm not exaggerating, I think was worth more than my home. <laughs> With its landscaping, like ultra, I mean, it was phenomenal. And the guard says to my friend who's driving, he says, oh, we've been expecting you. And I'm like, what? Where are we? So they're driving around this corner. And as we begin to crest over, my friend begins to tell what he already knows, what we don't know. And he says, so let me tell you about this place. My parents are looking at buying a home and building it here. And he's friends with the owner. And actually, they've already built the entire resort that the property will be next to. And we're pulling up and we see gigantic restaurants and pools and a two-story high climbing wall, all these areas for kids. And, and we get out of the car and they say, we've, we've been expecting you. And they begin to take us on this tour. And I'm walking around, I'm like, what on earth? I didn't know places like this existed. And all the amenities and all these things of a resort that wasn't running yet. Yet it was filled with attendants. It was filled with people who were there, ready for this? to serve us. There was eight of us there. No one else. Imagine going to a resort that you can never afford in your life. And you're there and no one else is there and everyone there, all the whole wait staff is like, may I help you? Can I get you some water? Do you want some coconut water? Hey, do you want to go snorkeling? Do you want to go stand up paddleboarding? Do you want to try our day spa? And I'm like, what is this place? <laughs> we were there for eight hours. This thing that I did not want to go to. At the end of that experience, one of my friends, as we're driving back, said to me, Drew, I think that was one of the top five days of my life. <laughs> I don't think I could disagree with him. And I almost missed it. You see, from the outside, I saw on the paper, tour of property. What? what? When I was on the inside of that property, experiencing it, which, by the way, at the end of the day, was completely paid for, completely covered. There was nothing that I had to pay for, nothing that my friend had to pay for, because the owner who came out and met us paid for everything. All of that, I mean, things I'd never be able to afford in my life, everything was, it was, I couldn't afford that experience, and yet I experienced all of it. So now on the inside, I was like, why would I ever say no to this? And that's so what it is to have a relationship with God. Sometimes from the outside, you look at this and you say, well, I don't know, I'm too bad. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got my life, I've got my routine, I've got my business, I've got my personal preferences. I don't know. But once you're on the inside, once you say yes, once you respond to that invitation, you begin to experience the fullness of all that God has for you. You say, why would I ever thought that my life without God was better than this? I was crazy. Now, here's the interesting thing about that moment, that invitation. 
The only reason I was able to go was because I was invited as part of this group. If, if I would have said, you know, I don't really feel like it, but I'll, I'll come back in a month, that invitation wouldn't still be there. There was this moment, there was this opportunity, and it's so easy for us to just put God off and say, you know what, God, I hear you knocking. I kind of have this stirring, but I've, next year, next month, some other time. In doing so, we actually are distrusting God. We actually think that He can't provide a life better than we can provide for ourselves. And as a result, God longs for us to see that we've been invited to this thing. And actually, we see in the story that under the surface of indifference is actually hostility. At the end of the day, sometimes we get hostile towards others and towards God when we don't get what we think is going to be best for us. In fact, this is right after John the Baptist has been killed. Historically, in the story, within the three years of Jesus' public ministry, John the Baptist, one of the messengers, one of the servants, has just been killed by the religious leaders whom Jesus is talking to. And Jesus says, God is a God of justice, that there are wrongs in this world that aren't just going to go by the wayside, that God is a God of justice. And so some of us are here that we need to know that you've maybe RSVP'd, you've said, oh yeah, Jesus, I'll come. But you're not willing to experience all that he has because you're too busy wrapped up in all the other things of your life. That ultimately it's a lack of trust. It's an unwillingness to say, okay, God, I think you know better than I do. But the story goes on. You see, this is phenomenal. Jesus tells the story that because those people didn't come, because they weren't worthy, it wasn't that they weren't worthy because of some things that they did or not do. They weren't worthy because they simply didn't say yes to the invitation. And so he says, I want you to go out in the streets. I want you to find anyone who will come. And I want you to bring them in. Extend the invitation. Broaden it. Beyond those who have already invited, broaden it, broaden it to everybody. In the Greek language here where it says that they go out to the street corners or the main streets, it literally means the intersections. And if you find in the city, what's so phenomenal is that people from every different walk of life gather. You go down to Third Street Promenade, you go to different parts of downtown Los Angeles, Ventura Boulevard, different places around the city where people come together. You have people from all different strata of socioeconomic status. And this is for everybody. Not just the up and in, it's, it's, it's for everybody. It's not just the down and out, it's, it's for everybody. But in one of the most stunning points of Scripture, it says this, that they go out, this is verse 10, they went out in the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Both good and bad are invited to experience the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying. The good people are invited in. The bad people are invited in. And a lot of us, we love that part of the story because we say, oh, yes, I love, yes, God is a God who says, come as you are. Whether it's your good deeds or your bad deeds, none of it prevents you from coming in. And we love that. We say, yes, that's the part I like. Yes, and we sing about that. That we have a God that says, come as you are. And this is where we want the story to end, but Jesus goes on. And this is where it gets perhaps a little embarrassing for some of us because then it says this in verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So here we've got a moment where it seems like God is saying, come as you are. But then you've got this moment in the story which seems so odd where it's as if Jesus is saying, but don't stay as you are. And that leaves us perhaps not knowing what's going on saying, okay, what? The good and the bad are brought in. People from all walks of life are brought in. But if I'm wearing the wrong clothes, if I do something wrong, how do, how do I pass this test? And this is the key that unlocks the gospel. If we begin to understand what Jesus is saying here. You see, on one hand, you've got a group of people who are invited. They're too busy to come. You've got another gentleman who's invited. And he comes in, and yet he's cast out. What on earth? What is this all about? Some of you brought friends for the first time. You're like, Drew, why? On this Sunday, I brought my friends. I told them about the grace and the mercy that you preached. What is this all about? Well, see, it's absolutely necessary to understand first century wedding practices to understand what's going on. You see, we actually have a remnant of that practice today. Typically, when someone gets married, you have a wedding party. The groomsmen and the bridesmaids. And it's different for each family and different traditions, but, but often the groomsmen will all wear the same outfit, don't, do they not? And the bridesmaids will wear the same outfit, do they not? And sometimes, and it's different for different families and different parties and for different ex backgrounds and experiences, but sometimes the, the groomsmen will actually have all their clothes paid for by the groom. And the bridesmaids will have their, their dresses paid for by the family or, or, or the bride. And so wouldn't it be odd, and this is just now in 2006, wouldn't it be odd if you were given your outfit? Gentlemen, you were given a suit or a tuxedo or ladies, you were given that, that dress that you'll never wear again, of course. You know, that peach, you know, frambo, whatever it is, you know. Ah, okay, thanks, this is great. You know, you kind of say, say it through your teeth. But would it be odd if you were given that and you show up on the wedding day wearing what you want to wear? You're wearing the orange tuxedo instead because I like orange tuxedos, right? Or you're wearing that purple polka dot number because I love purple polka dots, right? That would be disrespectful, wouldn't it not? I mean, that would be odd, wouldn't it? You're there, you're showing up, and you're showing up on your own terms, especially if they paid for that garment for you. It's basically saying, like, yeah, I want to show up, but I don't want to show up on your, your terms. I want to show up how I want to show up. It, it would be. Wouldn't it be in our culture a sign of disrespect? Well, if you need a clue to unravel this knot that seems to be here in Scripture, know this. Then the first century, the host that threw the wedding would provide wedding robes for everyone in attendance. More than just the wedding party. The whole group was the wedding party. And so when people would come in, when they would show up, there would be attendants at the door providing for them the clothes to wear. And here's the amazing truth of Scripture, is that all are invited to come. Come as you are but stay clothed in the clothing that God gives you. Well, what's that clothing? Well, Scripture says that Jesus, when He went to the cross, did something that you and I could never do. He lived the perfect life. He lived up to the T of all the things that God longs for us to live up to that we can never live up to. And as a result, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, not only does He take our brokenness, but He gives us His righteousness. And there's verse after verse in Scripture that talks about how Jesus clothes us with righteousness. From a couple weeks ago, we talked about righteousness meaning approved, accepted. 
The reason why I was able to enjoy all the things of that property for those eight hours that day was not that I could afford it. It was because I went under the name of my friend. His name covered over our group. Therefore, I had access to all these things. And Jesus says, you are invited. No matter what you've done, no matter what you did last night, you are invited to experience the fullness and the richness of a banquet and a life and experience that you'll never be able to experience. You'll never be able to describe or know what it's even like until you're on the inside in a relationship with me. But as you come, know that you don't come with your own merit. Know that you can't stay based upon the tests that you've passed because you'll never pass them. But stay in my family, in this relationship, in this experience, for all of eternity, clothed, Jesus says, in my good deeds, in my merit. And may you experience for all of eternity what you don't deserve, but you do deserve when you're in me as part of my party, as part of my group. You see, it changes everything. So then when you begin to read this, you begin to see, oh, the king here isn't some weird eccentric guy who throws parties and then doesn't like clothes and kicks them out. No, who says all can come, good and bad, all people can come, but stay clothed in what I provide. My peace, my righteousness, my good deeds, my everything. So then when you get to that last verse, for many are called, but few are chosen, you begin to realize that this isn't a story of religion, this is a story of a relationship with God. So this isn't about that many are called, and just very few, like Indiana Jones, have the worth, have the merit, they can pass the test so that they are chosen, they can do it. No, 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 you see there's only one chosen one, and it's Jesus Christ. And in fact, Scripture says that God's desire is that none should perish. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He sent His Son so that all may know Him, that all may be saved. All are called. Do you realize that? But very few are chosen, not because of their own merit, because it's so hard to simply say, Jesus, you paid it all. You did it all. You are the reason. It's you that clothed me, that enables me to stay at this party. You see, there was a moment actually where in the midst of that eight-hour experience on Friday, my wife said to me, she said, gosh, I've got this headache. Can you see if you can find some Advil? And I went to an attendant and I said, hey, do you have any Advil? And they walked me upstairs and they turned on the lights as they walked through the door and I walked into, this is so surreal, I walked into a market. Like, it hadn't even been opened yet, and it was fully stocked of all this stuff, and I'm in this, and I'm like, what on earth? I'm in this, what, I, what is this? And he walks over, he says, what, you know, we have this, we have this, okay, so I go, he says, hey, have you ever tried these dried mangoes? I love these dried mangoes. And I'm like, well, how much is this going to cost? And he said to me, he says, no, no charge. And I had this weird little moment. <laughs> it's just me and him, Right? And I'm not going where you think I'm going, by the way. But I had this weird moment where I felt like I needed to pay. And I felt really weird accepting that. It's just Advil and dried mangoes, right? It's like 10 bucks. 
But I felt really weird. And I said, no, 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 I can pay. And I pull out my wallet. I can pay. He says, no, 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 no. No, it's, it's covered. I'm like, no, 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 I can pay. And I began to realize what is so bent about the human condition is because at the end of the day, we want to pay. Because we want to know that the bill's been covered. But the reality is, if I look back, if I ever find, I don't know if I'm ever going to see the bill of that, that eight-hour experience, but if I actually was able to see it, there's no way I'd be able to afford any of that. And when Scripture says the debt that we owe because of our brokenness, because of our sin, and yet so many of us are showing up saying, God, I can pay. I can pay. I'm paying. Look, I'm showing up to church. I'm giving. I'm praying. Because at the end of the day, we want to be in control. And how hard it is to say, Jesus, you've paid it all. You covered the bill. A good litmus test for you to understand this is this. How do you answer this question? Why should you be allowed into heaven? And if you answer that question, well, I've… If you begin that answer to that question with the word I, then with all due respect, you're showing up to the wedding party wearing your own clothes. You're showing up on your own terms. But if you answer that question with, you know what Jesus did? You know what He's done? And I don't deserve it and I can't believe it? But look what he's given me. That's why I should get in heaven because of what Jesus has already done. Then you are part of that third group of people who've been invited that don't deserve it but get to stay because they've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. True story. During World War II, there was a Highland Scot named Murda MacDonald. And he was captured by the Germans. And he was sent to a prisoner of war camp. And at the same time that he was captured, another Scot was captured. And he was put into a camp. And there was this common fence that separated the American side and the British side. And these two Scottish gentlemen were like the chaplains to each of the groups. And so they would come and they would meet at the center fence once a day for just a few minutes. And they were guarded by these German soldiers. And so they wanted to pass messages to one another. They knew they couldn't speak in English or French, or especially German, because the guards would know. And so they realized that because they were Scott and they had that background, they could speak Gaelic to one another, and the guards didn't know. And so they would pass messages back and forth. And then one day, on the American side, because they had built a ham radio that the guards didn't know, they got the word, they got the news. The Germans had surrendered. The war was over. And so McDonald walks out. In Gaelic, says to his friend, the Scot, the news. Nobody else can understand. And in fact, the soldiers didn't know. They had lost radio contact. They had no idea that the war was over. And so that gentleman walks back to the other encampment on the British side, and they hear from inside this great applause, this huge eruption. And MacDonald actually writes in his memoirs, he says this, we were still there for another three, maybe four days. And though we were still in prison, it was like a party. We weren't complaining about the food. We weren't bitter at the guards. Actually, we were sorry for them. And we had a completely different perspective. And there was this joy in the camp. And yes, we were still in prison, but we knew that the war was over. They wake up on the fourth day. They walk out. The guards are gone. They got the news. It finally came to them. And though they walked out free that day, McDonald said this, it was the news that liberated them long before the guards did. 
And that's what the gospel is. It's the best news that you could ever hear. And though you might still like feel you're in prison with that diagnosis, that unemployment status, that loss, that fill in the blank, this is news that comes to you from the outside of what we are experiencing here that says this is the true story, this is the true reality that you have been invited and that you are accepted in the name of Jesus to experience the fullness, the richness of the kingdom of God now, not on some future date, now. And when that news gets into your heart, that though you may still be in prison, it's a party. You look at the stuff going on in your life very differently. And one day when we are together in the new heavens and the new earth, all of creation is an experience. The news that is true today, that Jesus paid it all, that you're accepted, that you were loved, that you were approved. So therefore, not on a journey of merit, but in response to His mercy, then we can simply follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Let's pray. God, so much to reflect on and soak up and in. Help us to be still and continue to ask and pray the questions to you, God. God, what do you want me to learn from this? God, who do you want me to be? And God, what do you want me to do? Jesus, you are our teacher. We stand collectively, I myself included, at your feet. And I pray that your spirit would continue to reveal to us deeper and richer ways that prompt us to come when you call. To come as we are, but to stay. Clothed in what you have done, in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.